It is a concern of every parent and every grandparent, and that is, will my children or grandchildren keep the faith once they leave the home? Today, we're going to dive into ways that we can help our children stay Catholic after they go out into the world on their own. Stay tuned. Today's handshake is fraternity. We all need a band of brothers in our life to encourage us on the way. Life can be difficult, it can be filled with challenges, it can be filled with struggles. When you have a band of brothers to support you and to come alongside you, things radically change. You find the encouragement and the support that you need. We see all throughout the New Testament the call to brotherhood and Christian togetherness. So. Uh, strike out, find some friends. Um, to find friends, you often have to show yourself friendly. <laughs> Invite someone over. Uh, but start forming that band of brothers. Start seeking it out. Uh, it can radically change not only your, your everyday life, but also your spiritual life as well, to have those friends to hold you accountable and to support you. Uh, so fraternity is today's handshake. Excited about this episode. It's an episode that I'm looking forward to hearing Sam's thoughts and looking forward to sharing my own. But before we get there, I want to thank our sponsor, Exodus 90. So Exodus 90, we're going to talk more about that later, but thank you for sponsoring this episode. Also, we are the Catholic Gentlemen. You are the Catholic Gentlemen. Uh, we're your hosts, Sam Guzman, John Heinen. We're excited that you are here. If this is your first time, second time, third time, make sure you click that subscribe button. If you're watching us on YouTube, click the bell so you get notifications. If you are listening to us on a podcast player, love it if you guys write us a review. That goes a long way on podcasts and Spotify and these different ones. Also, share it with your friends. That would be a huge benefit for us because this grassroots marketing is an excellent way for us to to expand the show, help more men like you. And finally, we're so thankful for our donors. Making these episodes, making the memes, doing devoting time to this uh, isn't free. And so if you are uh, interested, if you're prayerfully discerning helping us, please head over to patreon.com slash Catholic Gentlemen. We have some great tiers from $5, $10, $25, $50 a month. Whatever God's calling you will help us go a long way, um, help us and will go a long way so that we can continue to provide this for men like you. So we both have children and uh, it's something that's on our hearts, our prayers, um, our wives as well, is how do we instill the faith within them? And so I know that I pray for my children all the time. I pray for their futures. I pray for their vocations, right? And, um, but there's still the unknowing of the future that, you know, is still uncertain as God yes. in his providence has, has ordered it to be. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's something that we, I think we all are concerned with. And um, of course, we want our children to embrace the faith and to continue in it. Um, but there's, you know, we, we all can think of stories of, of, of friends or family members or uh, people we know whose children who haven't embraced the faith and then walked away from that. And that can often be mm. um, very grievous to parents or, and as you mentioned, even grandparents sometimes mm. um, lose sleep over this. Um, so let's talk about some ways 
that we can encourage our children uh, to embrace the faith even after they leave home. Yeah, and one of the things that in in talking about ways that I kind of like to just address right at the beginning is is what we cannot do, yes. right? And one of the things we will not be able to do is require our children to fall in love with Christ. We right. will not be able to require our children to fall in love with the Catholic Church as the um, authority and uh, church that Christ created. Yes. And so that's something that, despite all our best efforts, we will not be able to force on our kids. Yes. And so we have to look at that which we we can do and are within our control. Yes. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important to acknowledge that we're not God. We do not have absolute control over reality. And um, I think pushing too hard or forcing things can often backfire. Um, and so we want to do this with uh, winsomeness, with joy, with gentleness, you know, but also not fail in our duty to encourage that as much as yeah. possible. Because I think as parents, we will be kind of uh, held to account, not for not for the absolute results, um, but still for did you do your, did you fulfill your parental duty to teach your children to guide them and, and to lead them and now only god can can um, cause those seeds to bear fruit but we need to do our part to uh, encourage our children yeah agreed and, and i appreciate you mentioning that because it's actually something that is um i've struggled with right is this idea of what happens if my children uh leave the faith and selfishly is that gonna you know put me an extra thousand years in purgatory <laughs> or even in hell you know yes Jim, and yes, <laughs> exactly but you know you read uh some great um authors uh, saint john chrysostom or saint alphonsus and, and these different men and and you can get that sort of feeling is like wow if i fail at this i am i'm a horrible person i'm a horrible man you know right. And and there is gravity to it, but we have to caution the extreme. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, as we're praying about this. So one of the things that uh, that we need to start with, and Sam and I are both, and it's really going to be the the theme of this episode is modeling or the example that you set as a father. Yes. And so there is no greater way than to be a constant witness of the virtues. Uh, theological and cardinal, the the uh, lifestyle of the saints uh, that you live in your day to day life, right? Yes. And so, one that I like to start talking about is is the power of forgiveness. If you, and I know uh, fathers, I've had conversations with fathers that won't ever ask their kids to forgive them when they know they've done something wrong, right. because it's somehow disorders life right that you've got your your father is the head of the family and um and if he's asking kids who are subordinate to him for forgiveness then it then it just it turns it on his head and i couldn't disagree more i think that we fail and that our kids it does not disorder things but they understand the importance of forgiveness by our lived ex our lived example, yes. and so when they see me asking my wife for forgiveness when I've you know gone enraged and and raised my voice, um, 
And or if I unjustly, unrighteously yell at my kids because I'm just in a bad mood, right? right? right. And and so I put that disclaimer that there can be good times to to elevate your voice, um, to to guide your kids in discipline. But when you lose control, which is not always hard to do, you know, you, you've 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 pushed past the past the bones. I'm talking about your kids. There was a great priest who I was in confession once, and this just popped in my head. I was in confession, and I was talking about how I very unjustly. Um, Discipline's not the right words, but you know, punished my my kids because I was just in a bad mood. Right. And the priest said, "You know, how old are they?" And they were basically seven, five, you know, two, infant, etc. And he, I'll never forget him saying to me, "He's like, you got to remember that before the age of reason." And he was like, "They're not offending God." but they're just offending you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, so true. So I like to just talk about and start out by talking about the power of forgiveness and that example that we can we can set for our children. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think uh, forgiveness works both ways. Like there's times when our kids will come to us um, and apologize. And I've heard, you know, very sad stories of kids like coming to their parents to apologize and their parents just kind of twist the knife a little mm. bit and make them feel even worse and kind of reject that childlike apology um, that a kid gets. So be generous in forgiveness to your children. Like when they apologize, accept that apology mm. and show that graciousness to them. But likewise, what I said, like you said, I think modeling that humility and asking for forgiveness, I think it's a powerful thing, you know, when, when a father admits that he was wrong. Shows that they're human. You know, uh, kids are very sensitive and they have a very uh, me-centered way of seeing the world. So when they feel like some, they were unjustly punished and but their parent will never apologize, then they think, well, it was, it was my fault and everything's my fault. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm just a bad kid, even if they were completely, you know, uh, wronged in the situation, so I think it's very important for for fathers and and mothers even to admit when they were wrong, and that sets up a template for relationships throughout the rest of your life. You know, because a lot of times spouses won't apologize in marriage because hey, my parents never admitted they were wrong. I'm never going to admit when I'm wrong. You know, so there's like this sense of asking for forgiveness is weakness. Yeah, I'm never going to show weakness. You know, we need to learn to be humble enough to say when we were wrong. So I think that's a really powerful place to start. Um, but another thing, too, is just modeling that love of Christ. Like, love yeah. is infectious. Yeah. Like, as a parent, if you don't, if you, if your heart is not in it, you can do all the right things. If your kids tell that it's just robotic or mechanical and that, that mom or dad doesn't really love God, it's just going to fall flat. Yeah. It's not going to move their hearts in any way. So I think that it starts with that kind of um, modeling of love for Christ. That's right. Tell your kids every day that you love them. Yeah. I am a big proponent of that. Also, I've spoken to other men who don't even do that. Yeah. They can't remember the last time they told their kids that they love them, right? And this gets on an issue of, of resentment. And yes. the moment the kids sense that you resent them for not being able to 
go out with the guys or spend more time on dates with your wife or do your own things, the moment they sense that, they're going to start seeking attention elsewhere. Yes. And, and when that divide starts happening, it is your obligation to do what you can to repair that damage. Um, because as I've heard multiple different things, you know, kids spell love, T-I-M-E, or, you know, attention is the currency of love. And it's so true that our kids are desperately in need of our love and our um, example, but we cannot give what we do not have. So if you are not working on yourself and, and uniting yourself to the uh, the love of Christ, right, the, the, that which has been received, right, our lives, our very being, uh, the sacraments, etc., that we merit nothing to receive, uh, that this grace that's constantly there that we just have to tune ourselves to, if our kids don't experience that and we allow ourselves to in a way be um, um, gnostic that uh, that we're going to do it ourselves and we're going to manhandle and structure like this. I promise you, that's not going to it's not going to win your kids to to the faith. That's so. right. Yeah, I think some some fathers, you know, probably because they've been wounded themselves yeah. at some point, um, are very cold and distant with their kids. And I think that 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 you know, psychologists talk about the importance of attachment. Yeah. Um, and attachment styles can set up a template for your entire life, really. Yeah. You know, that tight attachment with your parents, they've shown, research has shown that if you are strongly attached to your parents, you are much more resilient to stress, to trauma, to things like that. You bounce back so much yeah. faster. Why? Because you know you're loved. You know you're cared about. You know that you matter. But on the other hand, if that attachment is weak, um, which is rampant in our culture, by the way. Um, you're filled with anxiety. Depression is right around the corner. Um, just, just You live in a state of fear and survival. Like you said, you start seeking that attention in all the wrong places. Um, and that's different for boys and girls. But the point is, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna try to find that love and acceptance somewhere. Uh, whether that's a gang or whether that's, you know, in promiscuity or a hundred different ways that we um, look for that love and affirmation. So it's very important for parents to model that for their kids. Agreed. So, uh, you know, another practical way of, of, of modeling it is praying, right? The power of your kids seeing you pray, of your kids seeing you united to, to prayer or the importance of prayer um, is, is, you know, beyond, um, calculable. Like we can't, we can't understand the, the full worth of that is that our kids seeing that we make it a part of our lives and a routine in our lives. And when they see that, what do they want to do? They want to, um, emulate, they want to, um, do what their dad does, right? And so maybe they're doing it for their dad's affection, which is great because, you know, um, not saying that you're going to have conditional love or anything like that, but they're doing it for that, that sake of modeling or sorry, doing what they see, modeling, you know, what they see. Yes. And, and that's a, <clears throat> that's a great way. So making that a prominence within your family life. And yes. I do, I think about Father Patrick Payton, I mentioned him on other episodes, but um, the family that prays together stays together, you yes. know, and, and we have to start there. We have to start staying as a family and united as a family. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning, pray for your kids. Like just that, that is, 
goes, you know, far um, deeper into their life than any words that you may say to them. I heard um, a saint say one time, you know, someone was asking them, like, this very question, like, how do I deal with my kids? And he said, you know, anything that you want to say to them, uh, say to God instead, you know, yeah. uh, instead of complaining to them about their behavior, like complain to God about their behavior and just, and, and God's grace works invisibly. So we often think, well, if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Just in, in our kind of materialistic way of thinking a lot of times, but God's grace is at work mm. and your child may fall. They may stumble in life. But if you've been praying for them ever since they were little, that that is what's really going to change the course of their life. So don't forget to pray for them. Yeah, and I like that. And and just on this theme of prayer here that we're talking about, um, I <clears throat> I think as a, as a father, it's important to understand your own weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? So and be praying for your own transformation right and i can think of you know my own life and how i'll go and i'll fast for for certain virtues that i know that the vice is still you know attached within me because i know that and it it doesn't take but one look of your child to realize that this vice be it you know impatience or anger or you know um overindulgence on x y and z you know if that's if that's what you struggle with the kids see that too and they you know they either think it's okay or they get a disordered view of reality and so we have to be working on ourselves and fasting for ourselves and one thing that i encourage is you know kindness gentleness patience right fast for those pray for those for yourself um, because that is also, if that work and that transformation is happening within you, it's going to, it's going to show itself in, uh, to your family, whether you, you yeah. realize it or not. So, and on that theme of patience, I think it is very difficult to be patient with, with kids sometimes, mm-hmm. especially when you have a lot of them yes. and they, they know how to push your buttons. Mm-hmm. They know how to be annoying. And, and, um, but on the other hand, like it, it is so important for children to know that they're not just a nuisance to you. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're human, we're frail, we're finite, like we have limited uh, emotional resources and it can be easy to get tired and drained. Yeah. When you get tired and drained, you kind of get irritable. Yeah. Um, and it, it's so it's just be aware of that, be aware of that fact that you can be irritable with your kids and again, apologize when you need to apologize, but also let them know that they're not just a nuisance to you. Yeah. Um, show them that they matter and that you like them. Because yeah. <laughs> a kid can pick up on the fact that you do not like them. Yeah. Um, and, and oftentimes that makes their behavior even worse. Mm. Um, so, of course, we all love our kids, right? We say, well, I love you unconditionally. But then they're thinking, well, yeah, but you don't really like me. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So be sure to practice that patience and that um kindness to them where they know that they're not just an annoyance they're not just a nuisance to be shooed away leave me alone so i can watch the game or i can work in my workshop like take an interest in them show them that they matter like you said give them that attention like they just blossom kids just blossom when you kind of turn your attention to them yeah i totally agree and i think another thing that um is is understanding the temperaments the age sex of your of your 
your child, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I know that, so that we're not, a lot of these themes that were actually most all of them that we're talking about here are universal for age, you know, gender um, and uh, temperament. But I think it's really important for us as men to understand that the importance of that uh, in, our, in the lives of our children, right? Because if there's one child that's maybe a little bit more sanguine or another child or, you know, the boy versus the girl, right? Where um, I very distinctly remember disciplining my daughters was so easy because I just looked at them sternly and immediately they fell, yes, down, fell right. apart. You know, they knew that they were caught doing something and but then disciplining my sons was, is a whole different ball game. They will fight back. Yes. They are they are ready to throw you know throw down the gloves and, and and have at it. And that took a lot and still does a lot of training and learning uh, for me. I also bring up age as something that's really yes. important too, yeah. because so that you don't think when you're listening to this is like oh they're just talking about you know three year olds, two year olds, you know five, six, seven, etc. It does start young, and the the earlier you start, but all of these hold strong for the 14, 15, 16-year-old. If you're, if you're just new to this and you're understanding that, you know, my 16-year-old is staring at her phone, she is more attached to her friends, and she has, um, she has sought it elsewhere, you know, obviously, all the things that we're talking about, praying, fasting, forgiving, being available to her or him when they are ready, wanting to spend time with them, plan a date and, and put it on their calendar and say, you know, hey, 16-year-old son, I really just want to spend a day with you. Yes. Uh, like, what would, what would you like to do? You know, and, and then just start working on that bond again without expecting an immediate return or yes. reward, right? The souls and the lives of our children are something that we work through for our entire life. It's not yeah. something that, okay, after the fifth time you've met with your son for a day and you've taken him on a camping trip or you've gone and watched a NASCAR race or a football game or something like that together, that <clears throat> he should fawn and, and, and fall at, at, at your, 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 all your wisdom and all your thoughts and things like that. Right. It just, it's not going to happen. And many times it takes years. And I think about, um, stories and situations in my own life of, um, of a daughter who maybe, you know, had a child out of wedlock or something and, and the damage that that's caused within parents, um, within very, you know, traditional and devout and, and wonderful Catholic families. Um, and, and how to repair that damage, you know, it takes time. It takes yes. a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of love. It takes a lot of forgiveness. And it's messy and a lot it, of times. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important and, and uh, to realize that, like, don't be consumed by the fact that, oh, I failed, you know, or, or maybe I should have done this better and things would be different. Like, every day is a new day. Every day you can repair that relationship and I think even of like the prodigal son, that that mm -hmm. parable, you know, and chances are it was, it was just a, a parable and we don't know if yeah. that actually happened, but but it was probably just a parable. But the point being, that father in that story was kind of the ideal father. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was kind of like the loving father, the generous father, and yet his son still rebelled. Yeah. And so I think it's important that we realize, like you mentioned, there's different temperaments and you can from your perspective, do everything right. And your children can still turn against that, rebel against that, 
go off and, you know, kind of try their own way for a while. Yeah. Maybe even reject the faith and ignore it or, or, or go off and do their own thing. And, and as a parent, that can be really grievous to us. And we start to question like, well, maybe I could have done this better. Or maybe I could have spent more time here. Or maybe I could have taken an interest in this. And, and I don't think that's necessarily always the case. Yeah. You know, we, we need to realize that they're free creatures, you know, and as they grow, the world can be very tempting and tantalizing. And sometimes our children do fall away from that. Um, so it's not, a, it's not always a reflection on you as a parent. Um, we need to do our best, be a good enough parent. That's yeah. one thing we talk about in, in like family counseling and stuff, because this is an anxiety a lot of parents yeah. have. It's like, is it my fault? And what they say is, if you're a good enough parent, 30% of the time, your children have a dramatically improved chance of success yeah. um, in life. And now that's just that's just like being a successful human being. Yeah. But it also, I think, applies to an extent in the spiritual life where, you know, I'm not saying strive for 30%. I'm mm. just saying <laughs> give yourself some grace. Realize that you're human. Realize that you're fallen, that you have your own sins and failings that you're working out. And it can be very humbling as a parent to recognize your weakness and your, and your failures. But also entrust your children to God this isn't all on your shoulders. Like you need to do your best and try your hardest, but also realize that that God is at work too. So entrust your children to His care, um, and then do your best. But realize you're going to fail. Yeah, agreed. And so there are some approaches. Like we can look at the fullness of the human person and understand that our kids are full human persons, yes. loved unconditionally by the Father and, um, and, and guided by the Spirit. And so what can we do to treat, you know, all, all the depths of human, of human condition, right? And so we did break it up a little bit into the practical, um, but of the, the physical things we can do, you know, the emotional things that we can do and spiritual things that we can do. And I think it's important to talk about these things because we are body, mind, soul individuals. And so we have these, um, you know, um, examples and symbols and, and things that we can be establishing, establishing. So the first one that I'd like to start talking about is the physical, right? That's the easiest one uh, to, yes. to kind of talk about and, and put into practice. And there's never a bad time. And if you're a, um, a regular listener to the show, you're going to hear things back that we talked about, you know, your domestic church and building your domestic church. And but I think it's equally as valid right now in talking about the, the lives, the uh, growth and development and sanctity of your children. And that is have a life, have a rule, a family rule of life, right? Uh, where you guys are going to pray together mm-hmm. on a regular basis, on a daily basis, right? So have a, a prayer in the morning. Understand where your kids are, right? So all those things that we were just talking about have equal merit right now. So, you know, if you are waking up in the morning and you are an individual that has a one-year-old, two-year-old, and three-year-old, you know, probably trying to sit them down and pray a rosary first thing in the morning is not a great idea. I try to believe me, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so kind of structuring your day appropriate to these different um, elements, but have something you do in the morning that's prayerful, that's thankful to God, right? Mm-hmm. Living that generous heart. Um, I guess that's going more towards emotional and spiritual, but, but we, you know, we have this 
I like um, also, in addition to the different prayer routines that you have, the rosary in the evening, things like that that you do as a family, um, the, the physical representation of our lives as members of the body of Christ that show themselves within our home. And that's things like the sacred and immaculate heart of Mary, sacred heart of Jesus, immaculate heart of Mary in prominence in your home. Crucifixes in every single bedroom. You know, these little things can go a long way of kind of building the life. However, these things by themselves, without love, right, is a gong clashing. It is something, if it's, if it's just strictly legalism, if it's a, you know, if I do this, then my kids will all be Catholic sort of mentality, you're, you're missing the fullness of the human yes. person. So Right. You know, I think one thing that's important in, in all of life, but in this, this area as well, is not mistaking the raft for the shore that you're trying to get to, you know, yeah. um, you know, it, don't, don't confuse the vehicle for the end mm. in itself. And I think if we say, well, like, you know, yeah, having family prayers, that's the goal of life <laughs> or having, you know, Catholic decorations in my house. That's the goal. That's what it means to be Catholic. No, the goal is the love of God. Yeah. And, you know, like that's that love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the goal. Yeah. All of these things that we're talking about are means to that end. But yes, absolutely. Having a Catholic atmosphere in your home is really powerful. It's a, it's a feeling that's created more than a, a cognitive uh, state. So if someone walks in your home, can they tell that you're Catholic? That's a, just kind of a simple test. Yeah. Um, you know, is there a big giant 70-inch TV and like NFL paraphernalia all over the walls? Or do you have a home altar, you know, with yeah. the crucifix and candles? You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, have a home altar in your home where you gather for, for morning and evening prayers or something. We have like a little mini family liturgy we do before bed that we all the, turn, light a bunch of candles, shut the lights off. And then we say a few prayers, you know, our Father, St. Michael the Archangel prayer, you know, angel of God, my guardian dear. Yeah. And we sing the Salve Regina. Like it's a very, we invoke oh, our right. patron saints. And it's just like a little short um, five-minute liturgy that we do um, that we kind of created uh, as our own family tradition. The kids love it. They expect it. You know, even when they're on vacation, like they're super tired. They're like, we can't go to sleep. We haven't said prayers. You know, like it's just kind of part of their day now. And it doesn't have to be just that, but it can be create something for your own family. Use your creativity. I like that. But have something. Like have something tangible that your kids can hold on to uh as kind of anchors if you will in uh in their minds and hearts that that will they'll carry with them really for the rest of their life yeah and and i really i love that i just heard a friend of mine he was actually a a guest on a show a while back of ours but he told me that he recently just instituted something in the evenings that he calls you know, the family reading hour. And basically it's 30 minutes where he reads a book to them. They talk about the book and then they go into the rosary and it, it's just, but the book isn't necessarily a Catholic book, you know, and, um, but it's, it's a good book. And, um, and uh, often with little kids and e- any age kids, actually, it doesn't matter, you know, 16, 17, 18, you know, fictional stories are often going to be easier to, mm-hmm. to read and to, and to get involved in. 
But now his kids have grown to love and expect that time in a very short period of time, like in a couple months. Now it's like, yay, it's it's the family reading hour, and he's got a clever name uh, that he associated with it. Using that creativity, I really liked what you said. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about the physical here, and we've got an amazing sponsor on our episode that is is more than the physical. So we'd like to spend just a moment and talk about Exodus 90 and um, who they are and what they are. We'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Exodus 90. If you don't know who Exodus 90 is, we strongly encourage you to check them out. They are a ministry for men that provide a roadmap for spiritual um, and actually physical growth. Exodus 90 is all about asceticism, prayer, and brotherhood. Now, those three pillars really form the basis of the program, but it's 90 days of spiritual exercises, readings, uh, getting together with your brothers in your fraternity that you choose. Um, and it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. I've done it a few times. Uh, and it can be hard. It can be demanding. But we need a little bit uh, of asceticism in our lives today. The church doesn't ask very much of us these days. And that's okay. But sometimes we need a little bit of an extra spiritual shot in the arm. And that's what Exodus 90 can provide. So there's a science behind why Exodus 90 is developed the way it is, right? Those 90 days have a purpose. But another great thing about Exodus 90 is that they also offer different variations. They offer a Lenten program. They offer different challenges over the summer. So basically, they have something that's there to fit your needs. Again, asceticism, prayer, fraternity, and really that roadmap that men find so helpful. I know that I did when I I went through it. So we strongly encourage you to check them out at exodus90.com slash Catholic Gentleman or click on that link in the show notes. So we also want to talk about just kind of the emotional component of forming your kids uh, in the faith. And I think this is so important because um, persevering in the faith is not strictly about, uh, again, in, intellect alone. It's not just about having, you know, drill and kill the catechism um, until they have, you know, the entire thing memorized, although that can be good. Yeah. But it's also a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the emotions. And I think, again, as we were talking earlier, just as step one, like have that strong attachment with your kid, that relationship where they listen to you and you listen to them. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of parents like completely ignore their children and then they can't figure out why the kids don't care what they say. Yeah, It's like that foundation of attachment um, makes your kids want to listen to you, want to please you, want to uh, listen to your guidance. So attachment is so powerful. And what is attachment built on? As you mentioned, it's built on attention and proximity. Mm. Spend time with them physically. Go places with them. Do things with them. You know, a lot of my kids, they ask to go to the store with me. Like I'm running an errand or something. Can I go with you, Dad? Uh, sometimes it slows me down and I'm like, uh, I'd rather, you know, just get the chore done or get the errand done. But I say, yeah, come along. Why? Because it, it, they matter. Like spending, they just want to be with you. Yeah. They just want to be close to you. They just want to spend time with you. Like kids are very simple. The things that make them happy are pretty simple. Um, and, and adults are much more complicated, unfortunately. But but kids, like, they just it's simple pleasures of just being with dad while he's running an errand. That yeah. makes them happy. So spend that time with them, and that actually lays the foundation. Not don't use it in a utilitarian sense. Well, well, I want to get my kids to to listen to me, so I'm gonna foster a dad. No, like for their own sake, like they matter. 
But beyond that, like, it does encourage them to listen to you when you talk about matters of faith. So that emotional component is so important. But um, there's more to it than that. I mean, when we talk about the heart, like, it has to come from love. Religious practices have to be fueled and motivated by love, not legalism, not anxiety, not fear, not scrupulosity. It has to come from a place uh, of love and devotion. And I appreciate you saying that because... We have to understand, and I think very often we as men can ignore this because we're um, maybe more inclined to stoicism or we, um, you know, want to take on, I can do it myself. Again, that Gnostic attitude, it's, it's very easy to fall into that. But God gave us emotion. He did. Now, does emotion... Um, uh, uh, as, as secondary to the intellect and the will... Yes, but not something that we ignore or an enemy to the intellect or the will. That's not it at all. That emotions are something we experience and God can actually speak through emotions. And if we don't understand that, if we don't understand listening uh, to um, somebody who is grieving or somebody who is struggling or somebody who is suffering, if we don't understand the importance of of appreciating and, and affirming them in these moments, right, we are failing at at that you know, connectivity that God is calling us to because he gave us these things and we have to experience these things ourselves and give us that permission in many cases as men who have just basically put together this image of a man um, that they had this ideal of a man that they have to live up to as a man who never cries, a man who never shows too much affection to his, you know, children and stuff like that. All of these, you know, random things that we put up because of you know, how we were developed or grow or the example that maybe our father set for us, we have to to remove that. But I really want our listeners to reflect on the fact that God indeed gave us emotion and that emotion can tell a lot about individuals, be it feminine or masculine emotions and how they, they show themselves. And it's important for us to appreciate that, allow that to happen within our kids. I often... <clears throat> When my boys, great example, are are just enraged and they're allowing something like we we talk about, you know, like this angry hippo or this this wild stallion, this emotion that's just led to run amok and it's just, you know, it just it torches everything in its path and yeah. you know, and, and leaves the 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 dead behind it in its wake. And and we we work through that with them and we're like, but what would be a better way of understanding this? Yes, I understand why you're angry. I understand why this was an injustice that you experienced. Mm-hmm. But what can we do to not allow this to control us, not mm-hmm. allow this to um, uh, overwhelm our whole being? And and then we we fall into sin or we fall into, you know, a person that we that nobody wants to be around. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think one thing, too, that's important to take into account is, um, we already mentioned, but your kid's developmental stage. Mm. I think this is so important because psychologists have identified, you know, a lot of different developmental stages as children grow up. Um, So, you know, you got like Jean Piaget, he had his own categorization of a child's developmental stages. But then Eric Erickson is another... Um, you know, giant in the field of, of, of research into this department. And he also developed, you know, his own little model of the stages of human development. The point is, though, regardless of what model you embrace, human beings develop. Yeah. 
a two-year-old is not going to have the same mental, emotional capabilities as a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old. Um, and likewise, a seven-year-old is not going to have the same mental and emotional abilities um, as you as an adult. So yeah. take that into account and realize that your kids are growing. They're, they're, sometimes growing up can be messy. It can yeah, be painful. Yeah, your emotions are completely out of your control. Kids, uh, There's a saying that kids act, uh, don't act, they react. Mm. Whereas adults, we sometimes reflect, uh, we weigh options, and then we decide. Yeah. Kids don't do that. They just impulsively respond. Um, that doesn't mean they're always trying to be naughty. That doesn't mean they're always trying to be bad. An example of this, religiously speaking, would be a kid squirming in the pew at Mass. Yeah. Does that mean that they're just hard-hearted sinners shaking their fist in God's face, you know, completely cold towards the Eucharist? No, sometimes they're just squirmy. They got ants okay. in their pants. You know, yeah. growing up, you've got, you're full of energy and life, and, and it's hard to sit still. Does that mean they're being naughty or like, no, but somebody just need a little instruction. Like, hey, sit still, pay attention, yeah. you know, and they just need a little encouragement. They need to be trained in that way. Does that mean they get severely punished, you know, the hammer drops? No, I mean, it depends on the situation and how many times they've been, they've yeah. been doing or that or whatever. But the point is, like, they need to learn respect. They need to learn um, care and attention, yes. But also take into account their, their, I mean, when our kids were three and four, my boys, they were boys, first of all, and they were three and four. Like kids that age, it's extremely difficult for them to sit still. So they would be crawling on the pew and stuff like that, and they'd be standing in the kneeler, and then they'd slip off and whack their head on the pew, and mm -hmm. then they're screaming, and you got to take them out and stuff. And were they being, you know, evil, rebellious sinners? Of course not. They were just little kids that struggled to sit still, and we took that into account as parents. Yes, it was embarrassing, but take that into account. Now, if a 10-year-old is being disruptive at Mass and he's, mm -hmm. you know, playing with papers or toys or picking on somebody in front of him or something, okay, that's a totally different situation with a total, totally different disciplinary response. You know, so you have to take into account that developmental stage and what you can actually reasonably expect from your kids. And if you really don't know, then then there's lots of resources out there. There's books and things like that mm -hmm. that, that kind of talk about these developmental stages and, and what you can reasonably expect from a kid at a different age. So. That's right. And hopefully our listeners are realizing that there's no box, right? There's no box that we can put our kids in yeah. and just say, okay, this is where they're at. This is who they are, you know, and, and every three-year-old is just like this, right? Yeah. There's certainly similarities and there's threads, but, you know, emotionally speaking, developmentally speaking, right, it's, 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 um, it's not it's not very linear, right? <laughs> Sometimes it's messy as you as you stated. And so another thing that I guess I'd like to talk about is just kind of the spiritual development of your kids. In the same way, understanding gender or sex and understanding um, our our children's age and where they're at, I think it's really important to talk to them about how God is speaking to them. You know, without a right or wrong answer. So that being said, when I talk to my five-year-old and I say, you know, well, what's God trying to do in this situation? And the five-year-old quickly says, well, he wants me to get that second cookie. Like, I understand, okay, well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit more, right? Not a, now it's not a discipline or, you know, it becomes, you're wrong, you know, that sort of stuff. But it's, again, it's helping develop that example. Now, when you're talking to a 14-year-old and you say, you know, what is God 
trying to trying you to do in this situation you know what what could you be doing and stuff like that then you're starting to really get like let's take this to prayer you know and you just kind of guide them within that sporadically right as as it appears and that is a really great thing is trying to help them understand how god's will is is better than their own and he's always there lovingly um, to, to guide and to direct you and to, and to be one with you and to help you because of his unconditional love. And so we can do that uh, through our example, but through these opportunities that present themselves. Any parent knows they present themselves almost daily of, of helping their kids turn things to prayer, and, but really try and connect with God, really trying to connect with Our Lady, really trying to connect with with Christ, you know, and the saints and things like that, because they are fully alive. They are not, you know, models of the past uh, that that we we put into a statue form, you know, as a reminder. But they are there, ready to love, ready to care, ready to guide, and we can do that by um, these opportunities that present themselves and how we react and how we respond to them. Yeah, yeah. Just make it like a yeah, living reality to your family. I mean, like for one thing, the one practical example of that is in our family, um, I can lose things a lot. And uh, my wife, you know, is very patient with me. But but I'm, I'm always losing my keys and, and, and losing my phone or losing my wallet or whatever. And uh, so we invoke St. Anthony a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and some of my kids are that way, too. They're always losing stuff. And so we just say, well, pray to St. Anthony. And I'm, I'm telling you, St. Anthony is amazing. Like, he finds I stuff that, stuff. like, I would just never in a million yeah. years think to look in this place. But all of a sudden, I just, like, pray to St. Anthony, and I get this impulse, like, I'm going to look behind the dryer. Yeah. That's where, like, <laughs> and I look, and sure enough, there it is, you know. And uh, so my, my, my adorable six-year-old daughter, she's always losing stuff. And she's always praying to St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. She's like, St. Anthony is such a good finder. Yes, he's, the best. Yes, he is a good finder. He finds stuff all the time. So she invokes him all the time. And we've kind of like embraced St. Anthony because he's like literally done some miraculous stuff for our family. And so uh, just like to, like if your kids pick up on the fact that the saints are real, yeah. like they're, they're alive, we can talk to them, we can invoke them. Like that's awesome. That's and right. and uh, like that living... Reality is spiritual life isn't just something contained in a church building yeah. over here. Mm. We go once a week, right. you know, and, and that's the spiritual life. And all, all the supernatural stuff happens in this building. And then as soon as we walk out, it's the secular world. Mm-hmm. Well, that'll kill your faith real fast. That's right. No, the whole world is, is kind of the, the, the spirit, spiritual realm is interpenetrating our world you know in a very real sense so if your kids pick up on that that living reality that this is real to my parents then it's gonna be real to them so yeah no i like what you're saying and i'm just um i'm just really thinking about that encouragement that we can do right i loved how you talked about helping them turn to the saints because i was actually thinking about allowing them to to lead a decade of the rosary or these sort of things right kids really adopt that and they really appreciate that that, yeah. yeah and so and and it 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 helps them enter into the spiritual life of the church right mm-hmm. and the spiritual life of of our faith and and how to make it a very lived reality not something like you said that just happens on sunday so yeah i i, I strongly um direct or i strongly encourage our our 
listeners to find those opportunities, um, which will present themselves on a regular basis if you are attuned to it, to help uh, encourage our kids to to grow in their spiritual life. Yeah, and I wanted to say a quick note on a phenomenon that a lot of Catholic parents are alarmed by, and that is kind of the neo-paganism in our culture. Yeah. Where people are into, you know, crystals and, you know, energy work and all this like um, pseudo-pagan stuff, Um, you know, uh, tarot readings are kind of growing in popularity, astrology is coming back. All of these things that, you know, um, people are like, well, this is like not Catholic, like, you know, oh my goodness. And all the young people are into it and like, are my kids going to get into that too? And what I will say too is... This is why it's so important for us to really have a supernatural view of reality Mm. because people are hungry for that. I think people are turning to this stuff not because they, you know, are just evil, wicked people. They're hungry for the supernatural and they've grown up in this world where it's literally Walmart um, and TV and cell phones and like... And they're, they're saying that's all there is to the world. Like, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that. Mm-hmm. And so they're turning to, you know, some of these false spiritualities because they haven't been taught anything else. And like I said, if we're secular seven, six days out of seven on a week, mm-hmm. or forget that, or we're only spiritual one hour, one day per week, mm-hmm. and that's the only place miracles happen, that's the only place where we pray, or that's the only place... Like, of course they're going to turn to this stuff yeah. because it offers a more compelling access point to the spiritual realm, you know, so to speak. But the point is people are hungry for the supernatural in our world. And as Catholics, like, I've, I fear that we succumb to a very secular mindset 90% of the time. Yeah. And we quarantine the spiritual in a very limited way um and that's that's not the way we should see the world you know and i and i would challenge as catholics to kind of work on recovering that supernatural view of reality yourself yeah the saints they saw god everywhere they saw the realm of you know angels and saints and and is all around them all the time um whereas we see the world you know just kind of our based on our conditioning our programming we kind of see the world as like dead and lifeless. Yeah. Um, and again, like only only uh, Sunday Mass is supernatural. No, it's everywhere. So if we don't believe that, our kids aren't going to believe it, and they're going to kind of turn to some of these false spiritualities as alternatives. Um, yeah, it's so. so true. And so I think what we're what we're getting to here is that it's not always black and white, right? The church has laid forth the game plan. They've laid forth the strategy, but actually actuating it or activating it within our own life is something that can get messy. It's not going to be, you know, a a strict and ordered the way we would like to be. It's not going to be black and white. There is going to be a lot of gray. And, but that's who we are as humans, right? We are, we are full of, of life. We are full of emotions. We're full of ideas. We're full of, um, of, of desires. And so helping guide and order those when they come up 
we've got we've got kind of the roadmap, but it's going to be different for every single person. So unfortunately, there's no silver bullet, but at the same time, fortunately, there's no silver bullet, right? Because how boring would life be if it was, yes. you know, it was just point A to point B for every single person. Yeah. So That's right. Yeah. Pray, 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 and be the father that you want your kids to think of God as. We're icons of the Father, and if we want our children to think of God as loving and forgiving and patient and gracious, be that kind of dad. Yeah. Because a lot of people say, God is good? Yeah, right. My dad was a jerk. Like yeah. That's their visceral reaction. Um, and when we say our Father, we want our children to think of us, in a sense, as an analogy for God. Yeah. Um, and if, if we, you know, that's a high calling. It's a little scary. At the same time, like give yourself some grace, but strive for that. Yeah, wonderful. Well, if you're just tuning in for the first time, the end of these episodes, we always like to do what we call a nightcap, you know, very gentlemanly. And it's something that we uh, enjoy and appreciate as men, right? It can be anything from books to leather to um, something tangible or something even metaphysical that we appreciate. And so uh, tonight or today's um, uh, is is going to be, you know, dress caps. And um, so I brought a flat cap here. Uh, so this is an Irish flat cap. You guys um, maybe have seen them on Peaker, Peaky Blinders, right? They've been making a comeback, these, <laughs> yeah. uh, these hats. Um, there's a long history in hats. There is um, a tradition in hats. Um, they fell out of style for many, many years. We're seeing them make a comeback, so they're actually much easier to come by and to get than they were, say, 20 years ago. And um, you can get affordable ones. I think one of the things that men, they're like, you know what, I kind of like that, but yeah, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit against the trend. You know, do, do, you know, do, I like wearing baseball caps all the time. Um, you know, do what you're comfortable with. But I think a flat cap is something that's becoming more uh, readily acceptable than say a fedora or a trilby or like a bowler hat or something like that, which are all great. But um, so maybe this is the first one that, that men can enter into. Um, <clears throat> one thing I will say is that the confidence of the man wearing it goes a long way, right? <laughs> if you are wearing it and you're kind of sheepish or you know not thinking you should be wearing it, well, first I'd say don't wear it. Um, and then the second I would say is that you probably look better than you think you do. And, um, and anyways, it's something that I have grown to appreciate. Um, you know, unfortunately within our day is, is you get some handcrafted ones that cost like $800. And so this one's affordable one, you know, like $50 or something along those lines that was made in Ireland and, um, and, uh, something that I appreciate. So. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here with us on this episode. And as we always remind ourselves and our listeners, be a man, be a saint.